This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, and welcome to Superwomen, where we talk to amazing women shaping culture, changing the world, and lifting each other up along the way. I'm your host, Rebecca Minkoff, and today I'm talking with Cassandra Gray. She's the founder of the beauty empire, Violet Gray, which sells highly curated, industry-approved luxury products. Before we get started, I want to let you know that we recorded this episode not only in my office, but also on the phone as Cassandra lives in LA. It's a little bit noisy, but bear with us. This is an episode you don't want to miss. This is Cassandra Gray on Superwomen. You spent your early career largely as a creative consultant and marketer and being an influencer before there were influencers. So what was that like when you were trying to explain or do what you were doing and people were sort of looking at you dumbfounded? Well, I mean, I never really the beginning of my work life a career because it wasn't that methodical. So it was more about just like something I innately understood and I don't know, I mean, I definitely read a lot and studied, you know, human behavior and, you know, I was really always looking at everything as a, a sort of uh, art or branded element. So if I saw a street sign or, you know, any kind of typography or visual or, you know, anything, I would sort of think about how that was, what story that was telling or what emotional connectivity. So it was just kind of something that I just knew and I don't know, you know, how really I knew it. And that kind of translated into really sort of, I think, being able to figure out how to connect brands with people. So I think, you know, I kind of think I I think I'm like in the emotional connectivity business. I love that. (laughs) So I think, I mean, early on, it wasn't really, it wasn't, it wasn't a situation where people were dumbfounded. They definitely like most of my business, they came to me because of something that, you know, I had done before. And I think, you know, I think it was sort of along the lines of, oh, you know, she's really connected and sort of knows how to, you know, make noise or or help us to strengthen relationships. And maybe they see that they saw that with another project I was working on. And that's really how it happened. And then, you know, and then I think maybe the dumbfounded stuff was more about like, well, so what can you, you know, what can you do for us? And then I would create these proposals that, you know, were mostly about really event marketing, you know, like mostly about creating experiences that would help brands to connect with people. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I kind of at the time sort of thought about it, like, I think people characterized me as PR, like non-traditional PR. Yeah. But I think that you doing experimental early, obviously now it's the buzzword. I think, you know, when you launched Violet Gray in 2013, even that has an experience component to it. So did you take all the experiences you sort of shaped for other people? And have you taken any of those into how you launched Violet Gray or, or how you will evolve it? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think I'm always learning. I mean, I always feel like I don't really know anything and I try to take the best things that everyone's 
doing like throughout history and that I'm attracted to and thinking and learning from from that. So I think, you know, this 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 notion that sort of there aren't a lot of original ideas or, you know, ideas sort of come from everything that we're exposed to. I mean, I often have these ideas that I think are like so novel and incredible. And then, you know, I see like three other people sort of executing on a similar idea. And, you know, and then I think, oh, right, because we're all sort of exposed to similar things. Yeah. It's kind of like when, as a designer, we all have to have red or a fanny pack in our collection. I'm like, how did everyone else know that? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think since the beginning of Violet Gray, like our first brand book had a bunch of like clear plastic packaging that had, you know, sort of what I call now call like off-white kind of lettering on it. And I really sort of got that inspiration from the there was these clear Hermes bags that had writing on them and then there was sort of like windows a lot of windows in Paris that when things were sort of on sale there would be like spray paint and we have that in our shop but you know I think like these are where I got this inspiration and 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 you know I mean now it's just like everybody is doing this kind of clear plastic thing which obviously plays really well for Instagram or, you know, social media, mm-hmm. you know, package products and things with, that you could see in an image. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just an example of sort of like people that are sort of, you know, design oriented or, you know, branding oriented are sort of, I think, att- attracted to the same kind of things. Totally. It's like a global consciousness in a way. Yeah. And even more so now with, that we're all connected with, you know, social media, oh, which I love. For sure. I mean, everyone's seeing the same stuff. Has that, do you feel like that's led to some unexpected challenges or triumphs by kind of being all connected? Well, I mean, for me and sort of what gets me excited or drives me, I mean, social media is just like, I feel like it was like invented for me because I love influencing people through art or, you know, human behavior that is influenced by art and being able to quickly distribute said art or emotional connectivity and be able to sort of target very specific groups and see, you know, a result from that instantly. I mean, I just, I, I, just, I think it's just so cool and so much fun as a marketer. I mean, it's really like built for marketing. Totally. So, you know, I don't, it's definitely uh, enabled us to do, and not just us, but everyone t- that is, uh, has a story to tell or a product sell that's def- definitely created this direct relationship with consumers, which is just beyond cool. And I think there's just such a white space and incredible opportunity right now. Like I think about it kind of like the desert and it's like the beginning of Las Vegas or something where they're, you know, it's so noisy and everybody's kind of trying to figure it out. But there isn't, in my opinion, sort of a lot of consistent storytelling that is on a sort of appointment television cadence that is elevated and quality in terms of like writing and color and sound and editing and all of that. I don't think that that needs to be that that this kind of content needs to be uh, feel like polished and unattainable or, you know, I like this kind of like reality TV, real docu-series type of vibe. That said, all of that can be quality in terms of, you know, editing, 
making sure that you're telling a story and that it's interesting and that you're trimming the fat and that the color is great and the sound is great. And so I think it's really exciting that, you know, there's this opportunity for, I'm going to kind of think about it sort of like the beginning of HBO where it was like, you know, it was all, HBO was all about quality and it was kind of the, obviously the trailblazer for developing content for TV that was on par with the kind of production of of films. And, um, you know, obviously that became the norm. So I think that's kind of very similar with social media and particularly Instagram and Instagram TV, where now you have this new platform and creators can adapt it. And I I really believe in quality. I mean, I, I really believe that there's a big opportunity in quality. Oh, for sure. Would you say that that's probably your favorite way to connect with your customers other than your physical retail locations? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I mean, I think about sort of the point of view and the story and, you know, we're very much in the service business and always thinking about our customer with everything we do. And really when we think of, when we talk about like, what is our product? Our product is really trust and our promise is, you know, we only curate the best and we, do it with editorial integrity and we sort of, you know, curate by committee so we can really stand by our product recommendations. So that's sort of the core of what I believe we offer customers, which is this kind of seal of approval and a trusted source to sort of learn, you know, be inspired, educated and learn about sort of what to buy. I think about all of this as like emotional connectivity or storytelling that helps, you know, customers to shop really determine sort of what they should buy and feel good about those purchases because they've been sort of vetted for them. And then I think about sort of every customer touch point as we're telling that story. And right now I'm really working on kind of restoring the original point of view across all touch points. So a consumer touch point. So really about making sure that story is consistent and, you know, irreverent and sort of true to our DNA. So I think about, you know, social certainly as a very important consumer uh, touch point. But I think about, you know, I think about our our packaging and e-commerce or our shopping bags or our store or our word of mouth or our PR or, you know, everything are the, the, the faces of Violet Gray, the committee that we work with, how they talk about us, the sort of, we have a celebrity membership, like how they interact with us. Like, I think it's all part of the story. So I really, so I guess it, I feel like it's kind of everywhere. If you, if you could do it right, it sh- could be, should be It's hard to do, but that's how I try to think about it. Clearly you're doing a good job. So <laughs> one of the things I wanted to find out from you is as an entrepreneur, a founder, I very rarely meet other women who are willing to share their failures or times when they were vulnerable. And I'm always excited when I do meet someone who's willing to kind of open up because I think it's often presented that, you know, we shouldn't have those feelings or it's a bad quality. Do you have a time or a memory when you showed vulnerability and it helped or allowed you to connect with another person in a more meaningful way? Certainly. I mean, I really think that vulnerability is the way that we all connect as human beings. And in fact, like when we think about the art that we're creating at Violet Gray, we're really trying to sort of capture 
an authentic vulnerability of a woman that does sort of connect us to her and the sort of that kind of natural or that innate quality that that secret or that kind of quiet secret vulnerability that kind of makes us all fall in love with her. And obviously a lot of like movie stars have that kind of quality, which is why we're particularly interested in those kinds of people. Being an entrepreneur is for me anyway, I don't feel like I had a choice. Like I feel like that it was just something in me that was like, okay, you have to, you have to lead and you know, you have to have a vision and you have to sort of get people to work with you and create with you. And that was just sort of like, I didn't know what else I could do to, I guess, pay the rent or make money. I I just feel like I don't know anything. So I feel like a novice. And I've found that it's sort of part of an entrepreneur's job or a leader in general to kind of fake confidence. And I don't want to say fake confidence. I, I shouldn't say fake confidence. It's more about like, even though you doubt what you're doing or you're terrified of what you're doing, um, which which I am. I'm always like either terrified or in some sort of state of euphoria with like a, you know, a, a victory or a hurdle. And even though we're terrified as entrepreneurs and often don't know, or in my case, in my experience, don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, oftentimes we're you know, driving on the road as we're paving the road. And I've found that it's really important to garner the sort of trust of your team. I have a shrink that's called Dr. Phil Stutz. He has two books that I think are incredible books. One is called The Tools. And he's very sort of a progressive expansionist. So it's very much about you know, how can I give you the tools to get to where you want to go or learn or whatever? So he talks a lot about sort of fake confidence versus real confidence. But he described a fake confidence as saying, okay, well, you know, we're going to open this. I, I don't know. We're going to launch this new initiative and it's going to be a huge success and it's going to go to this and it's going to go to that. And of course, we don't know. We don't know anything. We don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. So that's sort of fake confidence. And it's hard to, you know, um, garner someone's trust if, the, you know, it doesn't ring true because if they're smart, they understand that you don't, you do not know that that's going to be a success or a failure. And then I think real, what he, what he, what he describes as real confidence is that whatever happens, you as an individual, have the power to turn it around. And there's sort of two ways to turn it around, which is one is you accept it and move on. So accept the sort of failure and move on or accept the situation and move forward and get through it. Or, you know, actually sort of turn it around, meaning figure out a strategy that's going to get you through the hurdle. And I think both can be really good strategies. Either way, it's just like you have to move forward. And I think that's so much about like you have to, it's just like that simple idea of putting one foot in front of the other versus like stepping to the side or stepping backwards. Yeah. I like to say that in all scenarios except dating, no is just the beginning of yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
So one of the things, you know, it took me a long time to become confident in was the business side of my brand. And I'm wondering, um, because you're so creative, did you always have a business side or a business savvy? Or was it something you sort of had to learn or hire along the way in order to, you know, build your brand? I, I guess the answer is no. So, I mean, I think that building Violet Gray, I was very adamant and took sort of building the point of view. And when I think about brand, I think about it like a consistent set or collection of characteristics that tell a story and that ring true and that are, you know, authentic. And so when starting Violet Gray, I knew that I wanted to build that. I almost think about it like a character. Like when you start to write a character in a story or book and the character starts to become alive and if you really sort of do the research and color and all of like, where did that, per- where was that person born? Like all of the stuff that happened before you started to write about her or him. What happens for me anyway, is that that sort of character is alive and breathing and, and, and then it becomes much easier to make decisions and you sort of know what, you know, she would do or what she wouldn't do. And it's all about the edit and making sure that it rings true. So that was like what I really wanted to do because I felt like then you have this incredible relationship with this character or this, um, for me, like Violet Gray is like an attitude that trying to, to, uh, tell the story of and inspire, uh, people. So, yeah, I mean, it was very, I was kind of just like hell bent on this idea of like, okay, we're going to create a a really um, strong brand and point of view and tell a story and do it really well. And with the intention of connecting with customers and garnering their trust. And, and then I, I think that can be monetized in lots of ways. So that was sort of the way that I thought about building a business early on. And, you know, did it take me a long time like you? Definitely. Would it have been easier maybe if we were focused on revenue from day one or focused on sort of, you know, how to generate revenue versus create a relationship with a customer? Certainly would have been easier in terms of raising money. We've raised a lot of money and it was, you know, very challenging along the way because you have to find investors that really believe in that strategy of, you know, focusing on the relationship with the consumer first versus revenue. So I don't know, does that answer your question? And then right now, uh, yes. So I've hired lots of people over the years and I, right now I've, I've hired a CEO almost a year ago. She's called April Uchitel and she has built out her you know, executive team, her COO, her CFO, and she is my boss. So I'm the founder and sort of creative person on the team, but now I have a boss and it's the sort of first time that I've, I've hired, I hired a CEO before, but I didn't ever really let them be my boss, which was a mistake, huge mistake. And so now I have this boss and she, you know, busts my balls regularly. So we have this kind of, you know, healthy conflict because I am, I'm going to defend the vision and the point of view and the art and the sort of magic of what we do till the end of time. 
And she's going to, or she is thinking about, okay, how does that translate into a business? I love that. I think that's so important. And I think it's so great that you're letting yourself have a boss. I mean, we just hired a a few female executives and I decided to unknow everything I thought I knew and let them teach me. So yes, which is like very hard as an entrepreneur because it's very hard. I always feel like I don't want to be, I've never wanted to be a product of my environment. I've always wanted my environment to be a product of, of me, which is a Whitey Bulger quote, who's a gangster, but like this idea. So I always have this idea and I have an ego about it. So I'm always always thinking, okay, well, I have to direct this movie around me because like, that's just who I am. And that's what I was here to do and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think bringing people in to sort of help you create that environment is really challenging. However, for me, it's been life-changing. Yeah. And my, you know, I, this, this woman is just so, so smart and really thinking differently than I am, which really complements the process. And I'm just so grateful that this, she's so passionate and also paranoid, which is, you know, what I used to be as a, I mean, I'm still passionate and, uh, but I'm a lot less paranoid because I am not the sort of first time founder CEO anymore. So I don't have to, you know, wake up in a cold sweat on Sunday morning thinking about, you know, how I have to restructure the finance department or something. You know, totally. You know, I like to think about it like magic and mechanics, and you need both for a business to work. And she's like, took most of the mechanics off of my plate, and I trust her to handle it. And certainly, it's just been incredible for me for the first time in the trajectory of building Violet Gray. That's incredible. I know her and I love her. I used to, when she lived here, we would see each other, and I would want to suck knowledge from her like a sponge. I mean, I love her. Yeah. I mean, I also hate her. Like, But that's good. It's good to yeah, have that healthy conflict, you know? I don't, I don't hate her, but she's, <laughs> she's, she really is tough in the, yeah. in the best way. Totally. So I'm just adjusting to that, which is pretty cool. I'm definitely learning a lot from this yeah. relationship. So one thing I want to ask you um, is something about yourself that people would be surprised to know. In the beauty space for me, when I thought I could do my own glycolic peels, I'll never forget when I probably did one that was too much and then tried to cover up my patchy skin with foundation, which stained my face orange for a few days. (laughs) Do you have anything (laughs) that you've done uh, or people would be surprised to know? It doesn't have to be in beauty. It just, uh, I thought I'd share my beauty faux pas with you. I don't know if people would be surprised. You know, I'm pretty severely dyslexic. I'm terrible speller and uh, pretty bad at math. And I sort of blame that on dyslexia, although it's probably just because I didn't study math in school. <laughs> so I feel, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's surprising to know that like there's certain areas of knowledge that I feel like a child. I guess it goes back to vulnerable. I'm vulnerable about it. And, uh, you know, I think I often think about sort of going back to school or going into, I don't know, I feel like there must be some great internet programs now where I could potentially learn how to spell better. 
I'm like a celebrity in the beauty industry, right? So people that are in the beauty industry or getting into the beauty industry are interested in me. And this is like so amazing. And so they, you know, they know lots of things about me. And so when I meet them nine times out of 10, they're so surprised that I am uh, nice and vulnerable. And I always hate it when people are surprised that you're nice, right? It's kind of like, wait, why aren't there more nice people? Yeah. Are surprised that you're sort of like real or actually genuinely are interested in people. Yeah, totally. So this is another reason why I think social media is so good. It's like you can just be like, hey, this is who I am. And it's like, I'm so desperate to be likable. I, I totally hear you. So I wanted to get from you before we end, you know, I really want people to come away from listening to this uh, inspired and hopefully taking away some advice of something that helped you or what you think could help our listeners. So if you had a piece of advice to share, I would love that. I think probably the best advice that I have that was that was given to me by multiple people as it relates to building company, but also just in life, is to fail fast. So I think there's like, I, I often think about Again, this is sort of my ego in terms of the, or even like an addiction to having an idea and making it a reality is so fun and addictive for me, or I think so people like me. And I have like all this sort of pride around like tenacity and like don't give up and, and just push through. And even though, so I've done this many times and I think it's a mistake. So I think it's probably good advice uh, and I'm trying to take it myself, which is, you know, when, when something, when you're pushing through to do something and there's just like so many signs that just clearly suggest maybe this isn't the right thing that you should do. I think it's very easy to just think in your head, don't give up, do whatever it takes, get through whatever, you know, do whatever, to, uh, but also really courageous to identify quickly that you are wrong and this is not working and you need to fail fast and move on. I love that because sometimes I feel like we hold on for so long and then you're in a deeper shithole, frankly, you know, than if you would have just given up or made another course. It's really hard because, you know, there are things that you really saw that were in the future and nobody believed you and you're constantly, you know, defending your vision and, you know, you don't care that no one believes what you're talking about. You just keep going. And then, you know, it comes to fruition and everybody's like, wow, you really knew what you were doing. So that has happened to me a few times, which that sort of creeps in as I'm doing something. So it's really about figuring out, you know, is this do you really believe in this or is it like you've decided this is something that is a good idea, but you're learning that it's not a good idea and you can't accept that it's a, not a good idea because it was your idea? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've become incredibly spiritual in this last year with losing my husband and having this really strong connection with him. And he, you know, is a really big influence in my life and all aspects of my life, but certainly in business. And, you know, I feel like he's communicating to me often and with me and helping me to be a badass. So, you know, as a result of that sort of spiritual awakening, I really feel like it's not all up to me. And that when I let go and sort of let things happen, miracles happen. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for doing this with me. 
I really enjoyed it. Thank you for being interested in me, and I hope that we can we can hang out in person soon. I would love that. The next, together. the next time in LA, I'll be at your doorstep. Okay, excellent. That was Cassandra Gray, founder of Violet Gray. You can find her on Instagram at Cassandra Gray and check out Violet Gray for beauty tips and inspiration and incredible products you can't live without. So my loyal listeners, I really want to hear from you what you want to know more of, who you want as guests. Please email us at superwomen at rebeccaminkoff.com. That's superwomen at rebeccaminkoff.com. Don't be shy.